destroying the entire universe. Radio Free Deimos, an Ixundraconis fan podcast transmitting in a post-Deimos orbit from Voltaire Station. This week is episode 41, The Gritty Mars Coast Streets, and with me are, as almost always, my co-hosts Ashtar and Wines. Hello. We can't leave. <laughs> we can. There's, there's actually like less vacuum than there was before because the station's bigger, right? No. No, all your literary types are like rioting outside. We we literally cannot get to the airlock right now. Oh, but the conversations are so good. No, you can't see them glaring at me. <laughs> so this week's topic is part two of an ongoing sequence about Marsco, part of our much larger and probably year and a half long arc on the big seven or eight or possibly nine megacorps. One special treat this week is that author Pierce Frazier gave us a big lore dump of material from 2.0, and there's lots of new facts and new organization and new new ideas. I'm really excited about that, and that'll be feeding many of our conversations for the next several months. But before then, we'll talk a bit about uh, our Sunday campaign and what happens when the PCs sell out. When? What happens when the PCs sell out? It's it's a valid tool in the toolkit now. Yep. <laughs> talk about what's on the horizon in HSD and probably at the end wrap up with what's awesome. This episode again is sponsored by the new Marsco Summer Prime catalog. So big the pages are numbered in scientific notation. <laughs> in the spirit of this I'd like to ask my co-hosts to look back in time at the gentle sepia tone memories that Marsco tells us we have of Marsco and think about what their first Marsco moment memory is. If you can go back that far, I think I think he was lo looking at the models in the uh, Marsco catalog and realizing that non hyenas just were not quite the same as hyenas. Yeah, but there's only like one lingerie section, and it does simplify things. Yeah, but the females aren't always s glaring or sneering. That, that's just weird. Oh yeah, I can imagine that being really disorienting. It's hard to capture the wagging for the models in the uh, canine section, though. Running across the crimson plains with the Carillion trees and the pastel pink sky with all the other children laughing and having a blast. Uh, that actually happened? Told afterwards that, that the growth tank hollow vids were <laughs> slightly color shifted on my particular batch, but um, it's a real memory now. <laughs> it won't go away. I remember when we were like three, mom took us to the new Food Cube restaurant, which was pretty awesome. I mean, it's a long time ago, but I remember you just eat and it would grow back and you'd eat and it would grow back. I, I, I don't know if it's true or not, but I remember it having more than one flavor, which I can't possibly be the case. Uh, I still want to go back there like once a month or so. Actually, I was just thinking, uh, it's nice when you have memories that don't have a 12 o'clock flashing in the lower left corner. <laughs> <laughs> Anything that big height for so long a time. Yeah. I wonder what their next move will be. So the available product in the HSD universe has not really changed significantly over the last few weeks, but there was a recent designers chat that Pierce hosted on Twitch. It may still be up. I'll try and post a link in the show notes for as long as it lasts. Those videos seem to be kind of temporary. Where he talked a little bit about releases for the next year, some products that might be coming up. All of which leads up to the 2.0 release, which will probably kickstart around or before or after Christmas towards the end of the year. So save your pennies. Mostly he talked about the, not a lore book, because that's song in sil uh, Sound in Silence, but like a GM resource that's kind of on the distant horizon, probably around about the same time as 2.0 comes out. It sounds like a really neat idea. It's going to be Game Master resources and counter guides, that sort of thing. A lot of the lore that didn't make it into the main rulebook, like Outer Planet stuff, which is really more Game Master hands anyway. The Complete History of Everything, Part 2. <laughs> Mostly covered in um, Sound and Silence again. 
But on that note, he was talking about maybe the book including historical settings. So kind of what corpus ascendant, what corpus on the decline in the year 100, the year 200. And the book of lore he gave us, or pre leaked to us, it seems to be organized heavily around that. It's planet by planet and century by century. So kind of aligned with the idea of allowing historical play or heavily contextualizing certain centuries. It's also given me a lot of new looks at the history of Seoul, which has been kind of fun. Some factoids that I didn't know because nobody knew them, like the creation date of Genotype, which I'm really excited by that, pointlessly excited by that, because it's <laughs> the thing that doesn't actually exist. <laughs> but uh, it's one of the big, th it was apparently one of the big three megacorps that would spun off at Marsco at about the same time. ASR, Pulse, and I'm losing it again, Genotype were siblings all around like 70 AD. I thought that was really neat. Names of some new megacorps. Uh, what happens when the corporation focused on preserving genetic diversity and preventing disease collapses or is destroyed by mice? Hmm. And the delightful fallout that follows. Good stuff. Not a period of time that anyone would describe as delightful. But probably fun to play. And profitable. But not delightful. Yeah, well, that's near synonyms. They're on the same page in the dictionary, <laughs> if your dictionary is one page. But it does show how, like, wildly off my timetable was. The GM resource book kind of eats up the monster encounter book as a concept. It kind of folds that idea into it. Uh, big chunks of lore are going to be folded to that as well. So that'll take some weight off of the ever-growing 2.0 it sounds like the proposed equipment book is probably mostly going to be folded into the player's handbook or possibly dribbled out online or some such. I'm not entirely certain. But that's kind of some distant horizon stuff uh, all around the end of the year. So again, save your Kickstarter funds because there's going to be probably a rash of things to worry about around the beginning of 19... Uh, what year is it? 2018. 2018. Beginning of 2019. Yeah, but in our fiction, I'm not sure. Oh. <laughs> that. Yeah. This is the most fantastic story I've ever heard. And every word of it's true, too. So the Sunday game this week was kind of the denouement of a series of hopscotch across the solar system encounters, chasing after whispers, running away from whispers, being told that we didn't see whispers, and running to find out where the whispers went. This is kind of our character's first encounter with the big weird, which I think is kind of a turning point in Exodraconus campaigns when you start to see the vast strangeness of the solar system around you and the secrets that have been hidden and maybe get your fourth character point. <laughs> it was also a bit of a cat and mouse with some of the different mega corporations. Previously, a lot of the different encounters, a lot of the different short runs had been more edge of space, kind of edge of wildness, not really impacting with the different corporations. Uh, during this chapter, a lot of the corporations started to have a greater impact on the party, started to have a little bit more availability and visibility to the party. And the chapter really wrapped up when the party kind of chose one in one sense. And also some recurring characters that showed up to say hello to us and hunt us to our deaths. I can't really argue that. <laughs> IRPF does not exactly stop at just subdue. <laughs> Hey, we survived. So the characters went on to a, quote, abandoned, unquote, space station, found evidence of a whisper-based conspiracy and meddling with transcendent technology and snuck out only to find themselves in the, I guess there aren't tractor beams, in the clutches, uh, angle of fire of uh, IRPF and a villain antagonist from episode one, season one, the lioness captain that our our captain managed to make quite angry. And pilot. Captain and pilot. Bouncing off her destroyer does tend to do that. So when asked what to do, whether they would throw themselves at the mercy of IRPF or submit meekly to Marsco and Genesis's loving embraces, the characters said, we're going to sell out to TTI, which caught the Game Master somewhat off guard as that was not one of the proposed Choose Your Own Adventure pages. That was not one of the ones that was prepared for. It was a little bit more expected to either try and flip to IRPF or reach out to the previous megacorp that they had been working with, which was Progenitus. Reaching out to the corp that had 
no real contact with the party to date was a surprise. That's true. They were kind of just in the background. I think it's only that we were reading the lore books at the time that it was even kind of in our heads as an option. Someone mentioned them as a possibility, and it seemed pretty plausible. Yeah, they're one of the few corporations we haven't made angry at us yet. (laughs) Awesome. But also it's like a research group and a land of vast weirdness. It's kind of appealing. And coming straight off of dealing with a bit of weirdness and whispers, I understand the connection. So one thing that made this kind of appealing as a little mini topic is that Ixid Draconis is one of the very few games where selling out to a bigger corporation is a legitimate part of the toolbox and a very reasonable encounter possibility <laughs> that you need to plan around. I mean, the party as Minicorp has been kind of an ongoing theme in our campaign and many campaigns. And it needn't be forever once they realize what a liability we are. That's true. They could just get rid of us at any time. Well, all mini corporations are there as dumping grounds for bad publicity, and we will certainly hold that bucket. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's no such thing as bad publicity, sir. That's true. That's true. Just entertainment. So I think we're looking at a major tonal shift as really the entire backdrop of the campaign might significantly shift around this new set of masters. Definitely is going to shift slightly. A lot of the NPCs that previously had been running around, it had been very close contacts, just got a little bit more distant. And we are hopping from Progenitus to DTI. That's uh, quite a leap. That's a fairly significant change of allegiance. There'll be a whole new crop of people and places to meet and run into trouble with. And DTI definitely has a different plan. If you're trying to frame a campaign template, I think that the corp that you belong to as a or your your parent corporation, I guess, is a major element. I mean, if you work with Marsco, you're going to be dealing with a lot of autonomy, fair amount of resources and no supervision or guidance at all from overhead. Progenitus is so mission focused and TTI, you're dealing with a lot of research. They're not really the villains of the campaign, I think, uh, or our campaign or really I think after sound, after sound and Silence, they were a lot less of the enemy as a corporation than they were before then. Um, they become more sympathetic and kind of a little bit Ghostbusters-y after Sound and Silence. You're just saying that because they got the Pokemon. Hmm. They do have the Pokemon. Yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, a little animated lamppost that you can catch. I love it. But still, I think they were made to be a lot more sympathetic in the new new world. A lot less, maybe just a lot less monochrome. I don't think they were intended to be as... Scared and scary, maybe, as they came across in the original core rulebook. So I think the extra color was needed just to kind of flesh them out. I think given that each of the corporations is a force big enough to warrant its own splat book, this kind of puts a lot of weight on the Game Master to make the switch meaningful. Yeah, and it is one of the places where HSD cooperative storytelling really kicks in. Yes, the storyteller can just say, hey, party's going to be in this megacorp and you're going to stay with this megacorp. But the party has a lot of agency to change their mind or go work with a different megacorp or just change the way that the story goes. And this the storyteller really starts railroading at that point to prevent that type of choice, which is not necessarily what you want to see. And as you pointed out, the tone of which Megacorp you're working with at any given point really does change kind of the background fabric of the game that you're trying to put together. Whether it's what kind of missions you're getting, what kind of technology you have available, or just how you describe the environment. If you're riding around on a progenitus ship, that's a much more stately affair than hunkering down inside of a uh, TTI living ship. Avoiding that particular hallway if we don't know where it goes. I kind of am excited about TTI in particular because, I mean, it's never been my favorite corporation, but of all the big seven, it's the smallest and lightest. And maybe one that's more friendly to PC meddling and involvement than, well, particularly Marsco or ASR, one of the huge anonymous corporations. It is a megacorp, but its domain is, you know, maybe the size of a continent and not a world-spanning colossus so much. It is still a megacorp, though. Yeah, I mean, we can't, like, bark orders up the chain, but it seems like one of the more finite ones. With a lack in depth and width, they make up for in mysterious, disturbing baggage, but it's still a company that maybe could actually be almost mapped. It's only got, like, 200 years of, 300 years of history behind it at this point that we know of. It's a thought. received messages from their spaceships. For a while, it came in as just a lot of jumbled noise. 
back to the topic at hand, which is Mars Co's really people and places. Who are the people in your neighborhood? Uh, what kind of characters can you expect to see and find that are kind of uniquely Mars Co or close to uniquely Mars Co? What's it like to be there? That sort of setting style stuff. Um, but before then, I feel like I want to uh, get back to uh, Pierce's gift of 300 odd pages of rules and data and lore and look at uh, the new discoveries of pieces of tomorrow's history that we received today or yesterday. So it's not really a surprise that the biggest chunk of history in this new section was the history of Mars ranging from OAD up to current day. And some of the bigger kind of revelations to me were the birth of the first three spinoff corporations, which were all kind of around 70 AD or so, where we, I've already said this before, but I still think it's neat, where ASR, Pulse, and Genotype kind of split off or butted off or were spun off for whatever reasons. Uh, and then why almost instantly there was an uh, animosity between ASR and Pulse and that Genotype only had an active lifespan of about 60 years before it was blown up. Then another Megacorp kind of spun off, 150, 200 maybe, tied to uh, ship construction. And that was Stellarum, uh, Stellarum, 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 Potato, Potato, hmm. which has never been mentioned before, so it's kind of a new idea. But it was, it rose and fell along with the colony on Luna, and maybe it was their home corporation on there. They It was a uh, ship shipyard shipbuilding specialty place had a really strong presence on Ganymede and kind of linked Luna and Ganymede together. Maybe it was involved in some rivalry between Ganymede and Europa down the road and was a fairly strong and robust megacorp up until the point when Luna colony imploded and then it kind of dried up and Marsco reabsorbed it. Another interesting note with Stellarum is that they were the company that really pushed for Blue Skies and develop that technology around about 400 or so AE, which is really kind of neat. That's one of Marsco's signature dishes now. And seeing that it was developed by an independent company that kind of folded back into Marsco, that's kind of cool. I wonder what group kind of promoted Blue Sky technology and had some ideas for like spin-off corporations and NPCs around that. So most likely it's Stellarum, shipbuilders and Blue Sky builders now. Neat stuff. Fictional, but neat. Who achieved the ultimate end of any successful subsidiary corp. Get bought by Microsoft. Right. <laughs> Absorbed back into the mothership. <laughs> bought by Marsco. One quote that Pierce dropped during that development session, which was kind of neat, and I think we'll come back to it, particularly during Spyglass and TTI discussion, was, well, he started by making fun of um, the Harry Potter idea that all evil wizards come from Slytherin, says that's kind of absurd and is in response to what corporation do you like most, I think, was the question. And he said, well, I like all of them uh, with with some favoritism towards, uh, I think, TTI, which is kind of always fun, good for a laugh, but that no one had a monopoly on evil. And it was much more interesting if you're going to make some wacky dictator to take over the world to say, well, I want to make a dictator. Let's see what happens when I flavor him with Marsco or flavor him with Pulse or Progenitus or whatever. Because crazed dictators are not any one corp specialty. They're, they're a multi-corp thing. And I think that'll help, help unpack uh, Spyglass when we get there. Pick your flavor. Yep. Yeah. I guess talking about uh, Stellarum there gets me into um, kind of Topic one, subtopic A of the various subdivisions and things within Marsco, sort of a lead in on what kind of characters you'd encounter there because mini corps and subcorps and spinoffs are a good source for niche ideas. I thought it was interesting. You talk at any time, by the way. <laughs> I'm rambling a bit here. <laughs> Makes it easier to edit. One thing I thought was kind of significant in looking at the Marsco write up in Song and Silence. Sound and Silence. What? What book was Song and Silence? I think it must have been Mage or something like that. One thing that I thought was kind of significant in Sound and Silence was when you opened up the Marsco chapter on character types and characters there, it led in immediately with the Marsco internal police force. Uh, this was a fairly significant chunk of text, and I think it sets the tone for a lot of what we learn about Mars in Sound and Silence. 
which is a company that's got a deep root in uh, military conflict and has a strong sense of paranoia about its own secrets and works very hard to protect them. Which also, as with almost everything else, Marsco predates the megacorp that was spun off to do just that. And IRPF was never really spun off successfully. Um, I mean, they, they did go one way, but the Marsco internal police force or Marsco internal MIF. Military police. Yeah. I just wish they had a better acronym. Um, <laughs> it's like one letter away from being funny. Uh, they're still around and they are mostly in charge with, uh, mostly charged with protecting Marsco's secrets and Marsco's um, investments. A lot less ethically gray, I think, than IRPF, who has to straddle a lot of lines and answer a lot of masters. He's probably the police force that stomps in when Marsco is overseeing a, uh, not a blood feud, a, a hot zone. I th- it sets a really dark tone, I think, for the rest of the talk, though, because it leads, from there it leads into the um, Secrets and Stability Division and the Media Division, which is kind of similar to the Secrets and Stability Division, both these large conspiracy agencies that exist to silence history. And again, you hit the point where Marsco is kind of both over-generic in a certain sense, but what you're highlighting here can be seen as the, the beginnings of many of the other megacorp. The uh, media corporation has a certain predecessor to what Pulse is doing as well. The megacorps take the idea that pre-exists within Marsco and put their own spin on it. They put their own specialty on it. They put their own color and their own style. Um, you could almost just say that Marsco specializes in doing everything, just none of it with the with the shine or the expertise or the visibility that the different mega corporations have. I think the one place I'd argue with you there is that they are the media masters that Pulse wishes they were. Yes, I think Pulse definitely focuses on the here and the now, the culture, the the churn of the entertainment and the personality and the new is and the new and the shiny. Whereas Marsco underpins everything with the, this is the bedrock that you built that on. And these are the this is the history that is in the past. Now go pay attention to all of Pulse's shinies. Well, without getting too far into Pulse, I feel like if we looked at Pulse now, we'd say it's a really different corporation than when we first picked it up. Because before I was pretty convinced they were the, the marketing department of Marsco in the universe, really. And if you were going to be a celebrity, you were going to be from Pulse. I don't think that's there now. I think that if you are a celebrity in Pulse, it's because you are the pinnacle of your craft and are idolized, but Pulse does not necessarily breed celebrities. I think it's Marsco. I think Marsco is the media giant in this in the system. That's maybe their main focus besides manufacturing. We'll look at that a lot later, I think. We'll look at that later more when we talk about what Pulse's missions are, but I think it's changed a lot over the course of Soul's history and the books. Most definitely. So I just now noticed that the spine of Sound and Silence, which is looking at me, says HSD 2.0. So tremors of things to come. Mm -hmm. The one thing that Marsco does not really do is they don't really put themselves out there. They don't put themselves in the lead. So I don't I would not see as many celebrities of any sort coming from Marsco. That does seem to be that type of pinnacle of the craft specialty and visibility would be coming from the other uh, mega corporations. Maybe, maybe it's something that, that pulse definitely leads with, but I think one thing that we can't really ignore is the vast scope that is Marsco. I mean, they have more assets than anyone by the exponential factor, including pulse pulse is actually by weight, the smallest of the megacorps next to maybe DTI. It's it's ancient, but it's pretty spare in terms of personnel because of the just the cutthroat pace you have to be at to live there. Thank goodness. So I don't know. Um, I one one thing that Pulse well, oh, one thing that Mars Code also kind of somewhat specializes in is education, and the dominant thrust of vector education is not science with any sort of capitalization or anything like that. It's design, it's art. And, um, I think that maybe more so in the 2.0 lores lore or sound and silence, 
we get a sense that vector society values creativity more than any of the STEM stuff now. It's kind of an artist's paradise in certain ways. I mean, you had to have a solid tech background to create an art in HSD. That's why you had to invest in mechanized printing technology to learn craft at any level. But it is a society of artists, and that is a place that Marsco may be in the lead on. But when everybody is an artist... Uh, not everybody's a PC. <laughs> no, understood. I just think one of the kind of a core backbone to how Marsco approaches society and history in a certain sense is that anytime any anyone within Marsco or any corporation subdivision within Marsco starts getting too good at what they're doing, they get spun off. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that attitude just extends in so many different ways that that's almost a core philosophy of Marsco. Be the bed that vectors can grow in, be, be the skunk works that the technology can get started in or the culture can get started in and things that catch and thrive then get spun off to basically stand on their own and prove what they can do. And then sometime in the far future, once they become completely ubiquitous, then they can come back to Marsco and be part of the the core, the, the soul of Vector culture. Well, and since Marsco basically is every financial tra transaction, it doesn't really matter if you're a part of Marsco or separate from Marsco. Maybe if you're separate, you just create more churn, and that actually benefits the company and the powers that be even more than if you were a subdivision. I don't know that I necessarily follow the same line of reasoning there, because... Yes, Marsco definitely has the assets across the soul system. But I think Marsco in many ways does tend to avoid distractions. That they have the core concept of what they're doing and what they're after. And anything that gets too distracting, anything that starts getting too noisy, too flashy, does tend to get spun off. And I think it is rather significant that Marsco does have a division that kind of mirrors almost every other mega corporation and a decent number of the minor corporations that are out there and has a couple of things that they've kept almost completely to themselves, which to a certain extent is a lot of the major manufacturing areas and to a large extent is just some of the real fundamentals of Vector Live, but is also just history and culture. Yeah. Marsco is the defender, is the curator of Vector culture and civilization. Absolutely. That's definitely on the brochure. <laughs> on the subject of spin-off corporations that mirror some of the other megacorps, uh, the next one on the list of Marsco major subdivisions is the Moral, Im Moral Imperative Division, which is more or less the Constitution and Bill of Rights for Vectors in a sort of broken weak and anemic way. This is the group that makes sure that slavery is not much of a thing. So people get weekends. That's nice. Um, that there's a sort of baseline leisure standard that the free food spigots are always flowing. Um, that people have the right to pursue property, if not actually attain it. Uh, I think it's interesting that this group is, I mean, we, we consider it human rights, and it was created from the, well, it was created from members of the Terran military that were abandoning ship. So it may be literally a human rights organization. It seemed to be birthed primarily from humans that were following unjust orders in turncoat <laughs> to give the splitters a place to live. <laughs> Uh, one final one is uh, Asset Recycling, which is a group that organizes um, resources to give the appearance of scarcity. I've got to admit, I really like these guys. <laughs> yeah, I thought they were kind of bland, but I like the idea. I like the idea. I don't think it's a necessarily a play-appropriate subdivision, but I like the fact that Marsco basically has an entire web through the system fabric of society that just creates scarcity, that yeah. manages scarcity. Right. I mean, we're in a, I think we're, I think in canon, HSD is in a post-scarcity environment where no one really has to work, but they've, um, they need to create the, create the perception of it to have the churn that keeps the ledgers moving. 
Well, it would be a post-scarcity world if it weren't for being founded on late-stage capitalism. Well, there is that. It, it has the potential to be a post-scarcity world. The Moral Imperatives is a much more classical, good-guy PC party-type leadership corp. If you really want, if your table really wants to be, if, if your table has a couple of paladins or a couple of do-gooders and that's the story that you want to tell, mm-hmm. that's a good corporation to fit yourself under because you're always going out and finding the bad guy and putting them down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, getting into major name subsidiaries, uh, up till recently, there was only two major name subsidiaries, um, Genesis and... Ravidulun, Ravidulun, from the novel, but now there's maybe eight of them now, and they're mostly Marsco spinoffs. Makes uh, sense. Yeah, I guess no one else has subsidiaries these days. Um, so we've got uh, earlier on we had Genesis, which is the group that is the education slash corporate brainwashing institution. Um, education in this system being maybe the ultimate luxury. And um, in Sound and Silence, we met briefly Sabre, which is a PC hiring group. They work with pre-approved gray operative groups to help them get jobs and contracts. So excellent Agent Jones for your your party. Uh, We briefly hear about Lynx, which is a spin doctor publicity agency to make sure that your image is nicely whitewashed in the public arena. And the ultimate in SEOs. And uh, Vanessa, no, that's that's it, Saber and Lynx. Um, in 2.0, we encounter Stellarum, which we're just talking about as being a major shipwright even now, although under the Marsco banner. And Vanestia, who is, I think, going to be one of my favorites. They are mostly a high fashion corporation. They're mostly a high fashion corporation, but I suspect there's some... Uh, play on Victoria's Secret there because they also have their branded uh, Marsco's line of lingerie according to the equipment list in 2.0. I'm glad these items are on the equipment list. Fashion in-game is the ultimate in-game. Well, you heard it here first. Uh, So having gotten through yet another list, um, I want to touch on maybe some characters that you might expect to meet in uh, a Marsco party templates that are really more Marsco flavored than, than anyone else. Um, Marsco characters are known for being ingratiating, friendly, and a little bit plastic. Marsco is known for creating many of the generalists in this world and not having a lot of deep people and a lot of expertise in their, in their uh, staffing. I'm trying not to throw around the word generic too often, but unfortunately it, it, if the shoe fits. Yeah, no, I think that's that's fine. Big M is a little bit a little bit standardized, a little bit template driven, a little bit plastic and a little bit flat. But when we're talking about the different characters that are going to be coming to Marsco, of course the first one you're going to mention is going to be the generic the everyman, the the character that kind of does a little bit of everything, has their fingers in a little bit of everything, just because honestly that's what they've grown up with. When you're in Marsco you're exposed to a little bit of everything and you've got a little bit of the training a little bit everywhere. And much of it comes without some of this weird flavors of other mega corporations. So you can go really generic and really every man, um, or you can go a little bit more, a little bit more specialized if you don't necessarily like the flavor. So if you want to be maybe a technician or a technologist, maybe a robot a little bit on the robot or science side, but you don't really want to play around with the cog or the machine intelligence angle. You just really want to focus more on being science and technology. A Marsco technician would fit that bill and would be built very much, very close to the same way that an ASR uh, technician or scientist would be built. So right now I feel like you're talking about the, the working man character, principally, um, the blue collar type. Maybe. Um, in this case, it's a little bit more, let's say that you want to be, you want to be a sports star. 
you want to be a sports star without the be the best you can be like over the top pulseness yeah, of being pulse. It would be nice to be allowed to lose a game occasionally. Right. You, you could you could build your character as more of a Marsco sports type of guy. You, you could build the, the character could be built mechanically very much the same way that a pulse character would be built. But it gives you a completely it gives you more freedom in the background. I think we could go kind of crazy saying that everybody's character concept can fit into every corp, which it can. And which I think that's can. something that Sev led his discussion with about the different uh, Gryffindor houses, etc. Um, they can be anywhere. And the flavor that the corporation puts on your character is part of HSD. It's like its own splat book sort of thing. Um, that's where Marsco can come in to if you just don't like the megacorp. But that's what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Marsco is there for you. But if I was to say, I mean, OK, so you're kind of talking to me. You were talking about blue collar characters. Um, maybe not rising stars necessarily. I never thought of Marsco as really a big research firm anymore. But it, you also kind of led with uh, the everyman hero, which I feel like I would want to put that into uh, into Pulse first. In terms of like an idea that is exemplified by the corporation, that's where I would leave them because that's someone that strives and achieves. And even the pulse, every man is better than you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, even the even the, the guy at the pulse restaurant is probably better than me. He gets a real range on those burgers. <laughs> so the other subsidiary that we didn't really necessarily talk about was the, the secrets group. So the, the secrets group or the knowledge containment group within Marsco really has a lot of parallels to TTI. But if you build a TTI character, that there's a certain amount of like living creatures and living weapons and weird things from the beyond, that there's a certain techno Lovecraftian element that kind of threads through the entire character and backstory. Yeah, TTI plays both sides of the X-Files at once. They're the investigator and the secret conspiracy. You stole my example. I was exactly going to go with the X-Files. If you really wanted to play the Fox and Mulder type, who was not necessarily in the conspiracy. You know, Fox Mulder is not a fox. You can't prove that. Mulder and Scully? (laughs) The the people that were... (laughs) Yeah, Mulder and Scully. If you're looking more for the Mulder and Scully type that were not in the conspiracy or clued in to what was going on, I feel like TTI isn't, it maybe isn't the best place for that. They do seem to have a pretty good idea of maybe not what's actually going on, but day-to-day weirdness. Whereas the Marsco secret police, police of secrets, what have you, Gives you a lot of the same investigations, gives you a lot of the same plots and um, decision points without coming at it from a creatures from the weird beyond. Yeah. So a good a good um, couple would be Mulder as Marsco and or TTI or Marsco slash TTI and Fox. Wait, (laughs) Scully as TTI slash Marsco establishment and Fox as Spyglass. Or you could build them both as pure Marsco. Yep. Although mechanically, that's not smart, as we've mentioned once or twice. But I think that might go away with 2.0. <laughs> um, customer service representative, I think, is uh, possibly battling or militant customer service representative would be a, a fairly standard Marsco type. Again, fairly plastic, fairly surface, uh, people pleasing, but without any real warmth behind it. I'm still going to assert that there's a lot of depth you can get into with Marsco. It's just not as visible. Yeah, I mean, they've got some interesting emotional context. The whole really basically we own the solar system and y'all are all playing in our sandbox. So it's all right is an interesting, an interesting moral position. But I mean, in, in the in the text, it kind of describes it as being surface and shallow, which is kind of where I start with. But in the text, it also continually runs out these little strings and these little hints that, well, maybe they're just surface and shallow because all of their considerable resources are focused inwards on some other thing. 
as the ultimate conspiracy. I, th- I feel like Marsco plays out like the Bavarian Illuminati, where they could be in charge of everything, absolutely everywhere, or not at all, depending on you know what time of day you're looking at the Constellation newspaper clippings on your back wall. But the uh, conspiracy theorist and or maybe corporate historian, both that have a place in Marsco as members of the biggest establishment or people trying to exploit the biggest establishment there were. A corporate climber type would fit in any corporation, of course, but Marsco is the biggest mountain to climb and the most impossible. Marsco is a very, very big mountain. There's a side of HSD entirely that just isn't isn't present anymore, but Marsco established itself originally as an agricultural concern. Their two focuses were agriculture and manufacturing when they jumped to Mars from Terra. And it feels like agriculture is kind of a dirty word in HSD. Like, I guess if you print everything, you don't need to farm anything. But even the, the matter, magical matter transmitters still rely on protein blocks for their bases. Yeah, that, it's, it's hard to mine that out of asteroids. Right. Is what Marsco wants you to think, yes. <laughs> it's, it's not people. <laughs> it's not people, but, you know. Another character type that might thrive in Marsco is the very, very old money, the gentry types, the landed aristocracy. Um, Marsco really controls its space very closely. It doesn't let people move much, or it discourages them from moving. And the families of the oldest ties and the families of the most in- investment in stability are likely to be Marsco uh, through and through. Um, there's no reason for there to be anything else. And so, kind of the... There's no money like Marsco money. <laughs> no. No, the rich inheritor type is likely to be uh, living the life in the veil vale under uh, the Marsco banner. Pop culture characters would likely be from Marsco. I mean, Pulse is also there for, like, the highlights, but day-to-day churn, it's like the pop culture kids are going to be Marsco types for the most part. People that don't invest in their culture but kind of parasite off of it. With as much cultural control that the different corporations have over the media, I would expect that most of the celebrities and most of the pop culture would be relevant within the different uh, corporations. For example, Progenitus would have would be pushing their own celebrities and their own pop superstars because they espouse the values of Progenitus and they <laughs> and they drive the civilians along. I'm having flashbacks to my uh, rather long period as a Christian retailer <laughs> and going to uh, <laughs> church book conventions and meeting the the weird little demi celebrities in that community. No, but I think that has that has a lot to do with it. I have Bible Man's autograph. Especially within the different mega corporations, I think you do have a generated tribalism. Yeah. I think you definitely have a cultural echo chamber. No, that's canon now. Yeah, and and I I why would you go for pop stars outside of that unless you're just going after the rebels of each type? Oh, okay. Sure, the kids might be after these Marsco superstars, but yeah, most people most people are in no, that's that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, the celebrities from your your group, your hometown, are going to be the ones that are most exciting. Well, possibly. Huh. Uh, that's an interesting perspective. One type that you are, seem like least likely to meet in Marsco land would be... Um, I hate to say this, but you're never going to meet Elon Musk in a Marsco town. The um, level of investment they have in disruptive technologies is going to be fairly low. They want things that are controllable and predictable and um, things like the Uber revolution, Mr. Musk, things like that, that radically change society are going to be really antithetical to the group. I could definitely I definitely agree with you there. The, the rebels, the revolutionaries, the disruptors probably would not stay with Marsco very long, if only because it was so structured and boring that inertia. they just can't make any progress at what they're trying to do. So they'll probably thrive as an independent corporation until they sell out and then pick whoever offers the most money. Marsco is most likely really just structured with, filled by the quiet professional. The the people who are not all that flashy, they're not really all that charismatic, not 
Yeah. They don't need to necessarily be seen doing the job. They just get the job done and move on to the next one. You know, like we like we said a few times now, that's that's probably just every corporation is built on that with, with some very small exceptions. Maybe not TTI, maybe not Pulse, but... I don't know. I, I Again, with the, the, the very themed mega corporations and the structured culture and just the society design that's behind a lot of those, Pulse definitely, you do what you do and you be seen doing it. That, that yeah. is how you are best. That is how other people acknowledge that you're best. But IRPF has a certain amount of IRPF. heraldry around it. And you, you, are, you are seen and you get respect that way. Progenitus is out there being seen, doing good. I, I think a lot of the mega corporations really have kind of being seen, doing what they do is kind of an underlying value. And Marsco just does not have that at all. Uh, I, f- I mean, if you look at there's some corporations that are really heavily themed, I think. IRPF you named there it's going to be a little difficult to grow up IRPF that's like more of a more of a job than a nation in some ways in some instances TTI is fairly small fairly light and fairly focused they don't seem to have a lot of room for spin-off corporations in their organization and Pulse is in canon it's the it's small and a little bit crazed the rest of them I think they are empire builders I think that Progenitus focuses on building vast and sprawling communities when it can ASR is its landed gentry itself. I, I mean, the majority of people are Marsco because Marsco is the majority of the world of the of the setting. But that doesn't mean the density of bureaucrats and paper pushers to celebrities and PCs is any higher or lower outside of them. My thoughts. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could make a case either way. You definitely can, and a lot of this will come down to more storyteller preference, but. All of the mega corporations can hold a continent. I think at a root, the the different mega corporations all have their own color, all have their own flair, all have their own way of doing what they do. Yeah. And I think Marsco's founding characterization is the lack of all that. They don't do flair. They don't do this is what we do best. They're just, yep, and we're over here making money. So... That seems like a good transition point. What is it like to live a Marsco lifestyle? What is it like to live in a Marsco town? Boxes everywhere. <laughs> Definitely. I feel like the gap between haves and haves nots is quite large in Marsco land. Um, you've got the penthouse apartments and subterranean buildings and everything in between. You've got the veil and you've got the basement complexes under uh, Olympus Mons. A huge range I think they're going to play the cultural divide between rich and poor more so than, than most organizations. I mean, the penthouse is miles, literally miles in the sky. Yeah, I can't argue with that. I, I definitely agree. But I think that there, that's, it's a multi-tiered system. The, the masses that are quote-unquote poor are going to see their version of the 1%. But if you move up to that 1%, they're going to be the masses of the poor looking up to their version of the 1%. And if you go up there, there's going to be another tier above them uh, with just as much divide as we normally say between the masses and the 1%. I, I think the rich in Marsco are just at the upper echelons. They're, they're so rich that it doesn't make money doesn't even mean anything anymore. <laughs> that's true. And that's, that's been mentioned before that the council or the president just has so much money and so much power that it's not even a concern at that point. Well, I feel like we've talked about this before that in HSD, the worst place to be is in the middle. Like the poor, <laughs> there's actually a fairly good safety net for the poor. They can just shack up with their Nintendos and food spigots and coast forever on like the dregs of their of their wet ledgers turning around and at the high end hey you're golden but in the middle is where you get crushed <laughs> and that's where the pcs are i think that maps pretty well towards motivation as well though if people are not motivated and they're not and that this does speak a little bit more towards maybe maybe a little bit more randian consumerism than anything else but i think if people are if vectors are not doing anything then they're just going to coast along at wherever they entered the system. Most of the time, that's going to be just lower middle class comfortable. Quiet desperation. That's the general rule. If you're entering into some of the higher levels, most vectors are probably not self-made corporate leaders or board members. That's very much class-based society. Mm -hmm. 
So where you're saying that you get crushed in the middle or where you have the movement in the middle is also kind of like the middle that the cast shifters, that the people that are trying to rise above their birth or the, the people that have uh, been dishonored or made some bad choices and fell from the higher caste that they're in. They, these are the people that actually have the motivation that are trying to change. And yes, I, I think Vector Society is almost uniquely built to have that outlet and to crush those people. So I have this idea that Marsco Corp Towns are, hear me out, are the most cyberpunk of the various settings in the Blade Runner sense. Uh, the grunge factor is very high. The glitz is very high. The corporate surveillance is very high. But if you read like Neuromancer and things like that, the setting is an overworked planet where everybody had to build up and out and down and life is extremely cheap. And I think you get that in spades in Mars Co. The Corp Towns are arcologies on a level that Bruce Gibson never would have sketched out. We've got buildings that are seven miles high or so. I don't know how wide they had to be to, to serve that. But then they descend into the ground, you know, how, however many stories below. Mm-hmm. People never really meaningfully have to leave the building they were in. I think even the Judge Dredd movie isn't quite that extreme. There, you can be born, live and die in a single block. And that is a, a sufficient community with the level of surface area there. That's probably bigger than most towns we have on Terra today. Not uh, going to argue with that. It's a huge, uh, a huge block of uh, flesh <laughs> in one place. And I, I feel I feel like that's, um, you know, the scene in Logan's Run where they're in a mall that extends off the top of the camera. I think that's where we are. We're in a in an urban environment that's so dense that the light can't escape it. Hmm. <laughs> and that feels like the standard cyberpunk backdrop, that and the omniscient cold business empire behind it. Urban area so dense that a vector can't escape it. Yeah. My, uh, my cramped handwriting here says taking the punk out of cyberpunk. <laughs> yes. And degrees of punk. So Marsco, I mean, even within the city design, it's function over form. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the function of the city without the aesthetics, without without the form, without beauty in a sense. And I want to say that I'm going to retract that later on, but finish the paragraph first. OK, but that by itself doesn't necessarily introduce the punk aspect and the centers of Marsco, the centers of the city, the centers of the wealth probably are not going to have too much in the punk punk sense. They're probably not going to be very grimy. They're, they're not going to be nothing gets old because it just gets taken down, recycled, and put back up with the modular conception. Even parts of skyscrapers will be disassembled and reassembled on the fly, as it were. Where you, the punk starts creeping in is once it starts getting to some of the older settlements are starting to get more towards the edges. Yeah, Where you simply can't maintain that same amount of maintenance or that same amount of attention. And Morsco just doesn't care as much because it is just too big to focus its gaze everywhere at once. Yeah, I know I mentioned this last episode, but I, in reading some of Marsco, I was reminded of the transition between the uh, Star Wars first trilogy, where we see Princess Leia in this in this grimy, very modular-looking hallway, and then at the end of um, the recent like spinoff movie, where we get to that area before it's had decades of wear and tear and everything is bright and shiny with the same architecture. That's kind of like Marsco Midtown versus Marsco edges of town for me. The place where I disagree with what you're saying, and I don't categorically disagree with what you're saying is that Marsco also has all of vector history and they do have nice buildings. They have the oldest residences. They probably have like the, some of the original domes that the scientists lived on before domes became unpopular. So if you're going to find architecture with history you're going to be finding that in a marsco town true now now progenitus does have really great gables and cathedrals and things like that they build up and they build for splendor but for age you have to go to marsco oh yeah not Hmm. going to argue with that well thank you but it might be so old that it's a metal dome Uh, with a couple of numbers (laughs) scrawled on the side (laughs) rivets rivets Mm. better place the rivets every hundred years or so uh, Marsco's architecture and layout is very human. This is stated kind of straight out in the books. It's um, skyscrapers build up. They have four sides, mostly. 
they don't use architectural styles that bleed or fly <laughs> or float or emit lasers or hum. And they don't have weird guy lines crossing their buildings that you have to use to get to your Wendy's. It, it makes sense architecturally, yes, as humans understand it. Cubes are the most sensible architectural style because you can take them out and put another one in. Yep. I mean, the only places where it really differs from like human architecture on Earth is uh, they have skyways and they really build in three dimensions more than we do here. And the scale. And the scale is magnificent. And if every room is a cube of the same size, then you can just fit them together to have whatever household you want. Well, it's, it's actually, it's not always a cube <laughs> of the same size, but it definitely goes, the trend, trends there for sure. The cheaper ones are. Yeah. Um, Marsco, because of its scope, tends to have, tends to have specialized areas. I kind of think of them as ghettos, really. Um, if you're going to encounter like tiny micro, little, little rodentia, it's going to be in Marsco um, because they have this range of people and uh, body types that they can build for scale, even if they're building to micros. Uh, so you will find like a tar town area or a quarter that caters to laterals more than anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, well, there's Longbow, but that doesn't count. There's entire chapters in the Marsco catalog for this. Or is that for Affinity again? I never know. <laughs> and they also have districts devoted to like dining or entertainment or shopping or construction. Um, all of this is kind of towards the ultimate end of making sure that culture is planable. Traffic is mappable, that sort of thing. They can predict patterns, they can predict where people are, because they just like having that level of order in the world. Yay, order. Uh, have you seen Dark City? No? No. No, okay. No. You've seen Dark City. Yeah. Dark City is um, it's a good dystopian film, although it, it, it's um, sort of alien invasion meets dystopia, where weird bug people from another dimension have, um, have made a city, and it's very hard to escape. There's this running joke. Do you know how to get to Shell Beach? Uh, the main characters remember Shell Beach from his childhood, but can never quite get there. Um, Marsco provides transportation that can cross continental ranges in a few hours. Um, supersonic subterranean vacuum pressure uh, mailing tubes and hamster cages and things like that. That'll whisk you across the planet in like six hours or two weeks. Or two, no, that's, that's, that's something else. That's a different timetable. That's, that's interplanetary. But uh, it, they control the destinations. Uh, they predict the paths. And they generally encourage people to live in their specific routed area. So thinking about this, I was kind of reminded of the endless quest to find Shell Beach. Marsco's really good at round trips. Not so much good at uh, sending someone out and not retrieving them later. You're expected to come home always hmm. to Marsco. Okay. Uh, predictability and planning is very them. So would you expect Marsco to be going overboard on laws, law and order, but laws specifically? Are, are you building them up so much with like order and structure in mind that that extends to day-to-day -day life? Well, I think think that Marsco's specialty is I mean, they are the corporation that kind of maps culture out. But I don't think that, you know, in, in, in at least the written books, they don't need to do that with uh, law enforcement. They make it appealing to be in those patterns. Um, you don't need to leave because your entire community is in one building or because you get free cable and a food spigot. A certain trope that's been played with off and on fantasy sci-fi is the, the ordered culture, the ordered civilization that then follows like the coming of age rebel that just does not fit in and then gets exiled. Mm -hmm. And exile is kind of the pressure release for the civilization and everyone that can maintain the level of order and the level of kind of calm structure stays and builds civilization and the rebels get exiled and then find the wild and free chaotic lifestyle that that they fit better with outside the walls or whatever. I don't think Marsco needs anybody making sure that people stay in the box. They just make the box where you want to be. <laughs> um, it's not, it's not about law enforcement. It's about culture planning. So at the most macro level, they control everything, but at a local level, they seem to rely on um, the politics of corp versus corp and Microeconomics, macroeconomics, to make sure that 
something resembling process happens. People are employed to whatever degree they need to be. There's food available at prices that are reasonable. It makes processes as strong as possible. I don't think it employs that many cops. So I I think we've definitely talked around this a few times, and it kind of sounds like what we've come down to is either they're the Illuminati or they're just infrastructure ink, and you never really know which of the two it is. It's, it's, I think it's both. Uh, I think we're in a canon doubt and uncertainty realm here. I mean, no, no canon doubt on this. They control culture on an, on a level that is vast. They juggle economies by moving decimal points around in a way that's, that's powerful and they do control everything. The question is how directly do they control you? And that's a different question. I don't know what a PC party could do to deeply piss off Marsco. It would be hard. Marsco is so, so large and so powerful. I don't think that a PC party could really piss off Marsco in any meaningful way. Uh, the only group that's given them a threat for the last 50 years is uh, Lumen. They created a technology that's in Marsco's field of expertise, space travel, and have offered it to people in a way that is directly taking away from Marsco's business model. That that woke them up. Hmm. But that's... That's outside of most campaigns, I think, in terms of... Um, a new mega corporation appeared out of nowhere and took a direct shot at Marsco's core business model. Yeah. yeah lo- that, that's a bit out of most yeah, PC tables. That need a lot, <laughs> of, a lot of GM buy-in. <laughs> so Pierce said it couldn't be done, but I think next episode we're going to have uh, the third part of our Marsco series, which is going to be focusing on alternate readings, uh, conspiracy theories, reinterpretations of Marsco, or possibly canon interpretations of Marsco that are kind of dark and off the uh, off the brochure. Uh, so that'll be probably in a few weeks. And I've been... So many things I wanted to drop on those topics that I have been dodging around because I want to save them. <laughs> <laughs> Healthcare. Healthcare is scary. Healthcare is profitable. It is, and yet they've let go of it now. (laughs) There comes a time in each man's life when he can't even believe his own eyes. Well, after your description, I don't think I'd want to see it either. So I think from there I want to skip to uh, what's awesome this week, as per always. (laughs) Uh, I think an awesome thing is that there's there's a computer game that has as part of its plot AIs kind of becoming independent AIs as slaves who are becoming self-actualized and breaking away and part of the game is you have an AI which is part of the game GUI and then at some point as this personal AI witnesses what your character is going through it expresses an interest apparently in, in freedom and you have the option to free your game AI at which point, from there on in the game, you just have a menu with no little AI helping you out or giving you commentary. Where'd my paperclip go? Yeah, <laughs> go clippy. But there was enough of people, many people complained. Now, you have an option that you don't have to let your AI go. You can keep your AI. But then you're the bad guy. But then you're the bad guy. Well, I mean, mentally, it's it's your own judgment. But people complain because they want to be able to let the AI let the AI free, but have it stick around. So the game company caved and made it so that even when you, once you free the AI, it, it comes back or something. I don't know. Oh, man, it's like the Indian Dark Cauldron all over again. Right, right. And I'm just, just imagining that that's kind of opening the door to, you know, what what tragedy in a story ever really has to. Like, did Harry Potter have to have a scar on his forehead? He's just a little baby. Really, can, can, we, can we rewrite that? That's really unfortunate. I've been joking in our occasional werewolf campaign that our char- my character has a self-aware television that's rewriting the endings of Game of Thrones episodes to make them happier. More and more people living. Mm-hmm. The, the, the conflict's becoming less and less just, just understandable. The, just the pretty ones. Uh, Jon Snow needs more happy endings. Just, just the ones who have, who have the, the wolves. And all the wolves survived. It's great. Yeah, it's nice. <laughs> uh, a little article on flavor that I thought was kind of fun. Uh, that's the furry news site. The Library of Congress over the last year has created two new categories for furry and anthro literature. Uh, One of them is culture furry fandom, 
and the other is furry fiction. I think we've seen a lot of the we've seen a lot of the titles that went into these categories in kind of 2017. There was uh, Patterson's uh, furry fandom history, a couple of doctoral theses, and I think the furries within or the furries next door, some kind of cultural study of furriness that is on our shelf, but I have not read it yet. Okay. <laughs> There's a, a list of books to read. That one's not, not very high on it. And then, um, oh, and uh, Fursana's that that movie. Right, right. Yeah. It has to go somewhere. And then the uh, furry... Yeah. In, in our case, it goes back to the public library where we got it. It does. And then the, the furries, the f- like furries as a category, I think the BBC had some articles on that and uh, a lot of more newspaper article type things than... Um, books and cultural studies and such. Uh-huh. So anyway, it's nice to have that kind of note of um, real-world recognition for the fandom, along with all the other 47 million entries in the uh, Library of Congress classification system. That's all I got. There was the clouds of sparkling diamonds in the heart of some galaxies, but I fell asleep. <laughs> Has there been any Rule, rule 34 fiction about the direwolves in Game of Thrones? And outro. <laughs> intro music is Future Club and outro music is Chronicles, both by Serious Beat. This podcast is copyright 2017 by Radio Free Demos and may be used in any not for profit project with appropriate credit and notification. Check out our website, radiofreedemos.com, that's D E I M O S, for more rambling, resources, links to official and fan driven content and our full catalog of episodes. And look for us on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play.